Your plans? Today it's dinner with the parents at your spot. We gotta come back here. Now, their spot. Or you're on the edge of your seat at the game. Come on, just one time. And it's the one. <gasps> or maybe you're catching the next flight to... Now boarding flight 1850. Oh, that's you. The choice is yours. And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Yeah, hello and uh, welcome to episode 12 of Pod A This week I'll be talking to Mundy. In the last couple of weeks I've done two festivals uh, with the Comedy Improv and the first one was Bear in the Woods and that festival was a small festival near Port Arlington, absolutely brilliant. It was the first time they had a comedy tent. I was asked to curate the comedy tent so I booked all the uh, acts and emceed it and I'd like to thank Don Kelly for um, helping me uh, with that and for running an absolutely fantastic, brilliant festival. My highlight, I mean, there was some great stuff like, you know, Roots Maneuver was, was amazing, but my highlight was a young Irish hip-hop group called Da Je Vu, and I really recommend you to uh, look them up on Facebook and on YouTube. It's D-A-H. J-E-V-U. And then we did Body and Soul with the comedy, Dublin Comedy Improv, uh, last Sunday. And that was, uh, thanks to Maria Schwepp for booking us as well. And we absolutely stormed it and had a standing ovation. It was fantastic. Afterwards, I watched Panty Bliss as well, and she was fantastic. Brilliant. Um, and I hope I can get her on this pod cast as well. Um, and I saw a great band called Goat as well. They're a Swedish band who kind of with a tribal vibe and they were big goat like masks as well and they were fantastic one bad thing i had my wallet stolen while i was walking around and probably watching a band i had it in my little backpack on my back and it was stolen out someone unzipped it while i was standing there and took it um, and it was found the next day by kiva actually kiva who who worked on the uh, comedy tent and thanks a lot for for finding it, she found it on the ground beside the portaloos. All the cards were taken and re- were replaced by the smell of piss. So I had a pissy little wallet, and it's not nice having something stolen. And I, I just want to say that Body and Soul is a fantastic festival, and ninety nine point nine percent people there are just they're enjoying themselves. I just happen to be unlucky, but you know it's it's just horrible having something taken from you. Your possessions. I once had two bicycles stolen in one week. And it's just horrible. It's just a horrible feel. Like thievery is such an injury to the soul. Not because of the money, and that is relevant obviously, but because of the effrontery, the feeling of dirty thieving hands on what's yours. The fe- not the feeling that no one will treat what was yours with the same respect or love. Like my bicycle, when that was stolen, I'd really gotten to love... That bicycle, like a guitarist loves a guitar. The saddle had become intimate with my arse. We had been on so many journeys together. Sweat had dripped from my face onto the cloth wrapped around the handlebars. When it was time to go home from wherever I was, my yellow bicycle was there waiting for me and I threw my leg over its saddle. My body melded with it and we propelled each other home just using gravity, balance and the energy in my body from whatever junk I'd stuck in it that 
days. Like you know, like Flann O'Brien's creation in The Third Policeman, Sergeant Pluck says, people who spend most of their natural lives riding iron bicycles over rocky roadsteads of this parish get their personalities mixed up with the personalities of their bicycle as a result of the interchanging of the atoms of each of them. And you would be surprised at the number of people in these parts who are nearly half people and half bicycles. That was the, it. Some of my atoms were in the bike and some of that bike was in me and now somebody else had their irrelevant, horrible, nasty hands on part of me. Like the same with my wallet actually. Some of me was in the leather of that wallet and when some stranger had their fingers on it, it was like they had their filthy little stinky thieving hands on a piece of my skin. Even my credit card actually. Because no one will treat your credit card with the same affection as you would. My credit cards were in the wallet, by the way. I cancelled them, so it's okay, they're fine. But, you know, I'd be like using that credit card to buy a flight for myself, to do a gig in London for me, with my credit card. Someone else would be buying some stupid, meaningless pair of expensive shoes online from Hong Kong or somewhere with my credit card. Yuck! The idea of my name being associated with a tasteless pair of shoes doesn't even bear thinking about. That's right, even credit can become personal. That's my credit with my name on it. My debt. And nobody else's. It's hard to let that go. Okay, listen to Monday. Are you all right there? Yep. Brilliant. There's some water. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, can you throw me one over? I'm supposed to have water because I had this massage uh, earlier and she said, uh, and she put a machine on me that breaks down stuff or whatever. Fiber. If I don't drink loads of water, I could uh, feel really weird. Okay, I'm going to get a massage later on. Yeah. (laughs) I need one. I need one badly. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, neck yeah. back and all that. Oh, that's what mine's the neck. Mine was the neck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for coming in. Now, now the last time I met you was in New York. Yeah. Uh, what was the name of the pub? Scratchers or yeah, yeah, the Scratcher, the Scratcher there, and uh, I think it's down near. Um, can't even remember where it is. Yeah, the Bowery. The Bowery. Yeah. yeah. There was a couple of videos. Well, there was one video put up of, uh, of a couple of people singing, and I'm just sitting there in the corner wearing an iron jumper. Michael Brunnock, is he Not, singing? I think so. Yeah. Oh, it was the night after my gig. I think was it was that? the night of your oh, gig yeah, when you yeah. launched the album. Yeah, yeah. What, where did you launch the album? Well, I kind of launched it over there because uh, I was doing that pledge campaign, and it um, yeah, I did three gigs in this place called the Rockwood Music Hall. That's where it was. Yeah. So I suppose um, you would say that that was the launch in a way. Yeah, that was a nice gig. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, I, I, uh, I'd never been there before, but of all the places I've played in New York, it was the most intimate and uh, kind of you, you people listened. It wasn't so it wasn't a booze orientated situation, which I find myself in sometimes, and it, it's more like a bloody. It's like ploughing match than a, than a, an actual an artistic adventure, you know. Yeah, I know, that was a proper gig. That yeah, was good. Yeah. And Denny Bonnet. Denny Bonnet, yeah. She was, she was there playing away. Um, I had a couple of other cats with me as well. Was there a guy on bass that night? 
Yeah, you had a bass player. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he's from um, Austin, Texas, and uh, yeah, no, I've been I've been blessed with um, with meeting some good musicians over there too. Yeah. So. Well, I've seen you, uh, I think, with three different bands in America. In one in San Francisco, uh, yeah, one uh, that played City. that played uh, New York and Boston, and a different yeah. one in Kansas City. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm due to go back over to Kansas City now mm. and um, trying to figure out what to do because I kind of love Denny's a bit of a wing. A wing woman mm. over there, and it's nice to have um, that luxury on stage where you can look at somebody and they make you feel comfortable, and you know they're going to do you right. Uh, yeah, I just explain this. She's the violin player then in uh, in the in, states. In the states, yeah, she's she's um, an yeah. American girl that lives in um, New York, but she she's played with like uh, Cindy Lauper and uh, a lot of other heads like Mike Mills or mm. some of the REM guys, but. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> the thing is, it's just like flying people. America's so big. I mean, it's bigger than, you know, getting them from one end of America to the other. Uh, it's um, can be quite, uh, doesn't doesn't make sense financially. So that's mm. why I've started picking up different bands. But I like the, yeah. I've seen you with three different bands, and, yeah. but they were all really good. Is yeah, it, yeah. yeah. And, and you only have, what, one one rehearsal before you play? Yeah, so what I do is I... Um, I use this thing called Dropbox. It's like a file sharing thing on the internet. <clears throat> I send uh, a bunch of gigs from or a bunch of live stuff and uh, album stuff, and I give them a set list of fifteen songs, and they usually, you know, learn it very well, and uh, and we give it socks then. So it's it's a bit stressful, I have to say. I love the luxury of bringing my own my own crew around with me. All right, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Denny's great. I had great crack with Denny. Um, do you remember when we drove back from uh, Boston to Boston, New York? Yeah. And the sun was set, the sky was all orange, mm, and mm. you started playing your album. We'd never heard the album. Mm. And uh, you just drooled all over yourself there. That was the Tipperary water. <laughs> <laughs> I squoze it too hard. Um, yeah, no, no, uh, that was a magical drive, actually. Yeah, can mm. we. Um, was the Boomtown Rats the night before that? Yeah, Boomtown oh, Rats. Oh, you were sure you were the MC, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I remember you being there, it's figuring, trying to figure out, were you doing a gig up there? But you were, yeah, you were the, the MC, MC, of course. Um, but yeah, no, that was a magical, a little bit of a hangover. Uh, there was. Uh, but, but um, uh, and I was... But Den- Denis got very, she, started cry- she cried when you played Beaconette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She actually cried. So I, I kind of, um, <clears throat> well, it, I'm always nervous playing people my new stuff. Um mm. So for for you know I'd be a big fan of both you and Denny. So the, the, I got positive reaction. So it was nice to go go uh, to sleep that night with um with my fist uh, in the air. You know. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. That was an amazing night the night yeah. before in your room in the hotel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just madness. <laughs> yeah. That was a good party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually I ended up playing. The, uh, I did the MLMA show a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Boomtown Rats. Oh really? Did yeah, and I went up again. and I said hello to them, and uh, Sir Bob said, uh, "Well, did you make any money over there, man?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, let's talk about that another day." But um, yeah, no, he he was quite 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 a cool. Well, he remembered meeting me and stuff, so it was uh, cool, you know. Yeah, he was grand. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I found it a bit inti- uh, intimidating introducing them. I'm Be- sure, yeah, yeah, but because he introduced the band after oh, I, yeah, introduced yeah, yeah, them. yeah, and he he did quite, and he did a big massive yeah. intro, yeah. The best, great, you know, the greatest fucking rock band in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boomtown Rats. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, yeah, let's let's rewind back to your uh, growing up. You grew up in Burr. Yes. Burr. Burr. B I R R. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Right in the middle of Ireland. It is pretty much. I'd say if you got a compass, it would be 
very close to the middle of Ireland. Yeah. Um, someone called it um, umbilicus hiberniae. Uh, yeah, umbilicus, the, umbil- yeah, the umbilical of Ireland. Cord, uh, yeah. Where the umbilical would be. The yeah, belly button yeah. of the Ireland. The belly button of Ireland, yeah. <laughs> exactly, that's what it is. So I grew up there. and so you're, uh, you're one of the pieces of fluff that gathers. There. Yes, it's a scentless, a scentless town, though, you know. It's a what town? A scentless, as in, as in it's not a smelly but belly button. <laughs> <laughs> a scentless uh, umbilicus. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a cool place, Um Location-wise, it's eight miles from the Shannon. It's on the border of Tipperary. Uh, it's uh, at the bottom of the kind of Sleeve Bloom Mountains. Mm. There's a river that runs through it, and then there's also a big castle in the town. What's the name of the river? Am- uh, no, the Camcor. The Camcor, that's the name of your record label. Yeah. Mm. So, um, for me, it's like, I have a very romantic view of it, uh, the further away I am from it. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, do you know, I have, my memories get stronger the further away I am from it, you know, and I love, I do love, I genuinely love going home and hanging out and going to do normal things. And yeah. Getting my brother to take me out on a Wednesday night when there's nobody around to different pubs. What's your brother called? Uh, Niall is his name. Niall. Does yeah. he have another name, a nickname? Um, no. Enner, maybe. I can't remember, yeah, yeah I thought there was something yeah. about your brother, anyway. yeah. are you, are many uh, in the family? Just uh, me and him and my Just, mum and dad. Yeah, so. and your dad uh, does what? My dad uh, was a publican and a son of a publican, mm. and he was an auctioneer. Um, he kind of had a little branch of the EBS at one point, uh, estate agent, you know, a bit of mm. everything to do with land and houses. And Is he in politics now? No, my uncle, his brother, uncle. His brother Tom was a, a TD for about, Hundred years with uh, mm. Fine Gael, so um, I kind of our, our pub would have been used as either a uh, headquarters for for the the, the Fine Gael people or the rugby club actually because the rugby club got knocked down and it was being rebuilt. Mm. So I didn't get a wink sleep uh, between uh, zero and eighteen or seventeen. So that's why I, my leaving cert results were so good. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it basically, uh, yeah, it kind of um, it um, furrowed my you know path. So it was a, a lively enough pub then. It was, you know, you'd be mm. going to school the Monday morning and they'd hand you out a pack of peanuts and a bottle of Coke <laughs> for your <laughs> breakfast. Um, that was back when you could drink and drive. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. Um, and your wife would just put up with you, you know. You know, you go to a rugby match, but you'd leave on a Friday <laughs> and not come back until Monday or Tuesday. That was kind of standard. <laughs> and there was no mobile phones, no emails, nothing. So no one knew Where's who you your were. man? What are you at? Probably in a pub with no phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In co- uncontactable. And a few funerals along the way just to... Oh, we had to call into the funeral on the way back from the <laughs> match. Or like, and uh, that's the kind of the carry on that went on with me when I was younger. Sounds great. <laughs> no wonder you, you, you were reminisce. Uh, did you play any music in the pub? Or is it... Well, <clears throat> I grew up on the main street of Burr, which had, well, Burr had was always been a population of about 4,000 people and about 36 pubs in the town, which mm. is pretty ma- massive. Um, and uh, all the way down the main street on a Sunday night, especially, or Saturday night, it was booming, you know, there's people were parking, they stopped all the parking on the street, but... Uh, all the pubs just had kind of country country music, kind of you could hear it coming out, and it was just for me, it was like downtown Manhattan kind of vibe, you know. It, it just as a young lad, mm. it seemed so big, 
Um, but people went out a lot more on a Sunday night and stuff. And um, so the music thing, to answer your question, uh, there was music in my family, but not directly. Uh, my my mum's um, sister Mary has a bunch of kids that were mad into playing music, and they're up in Longford. And mm-hmm. I've an aunt and an uncle that would sing on my dad's side. Uh, and that's what. So what kind of music were you listening to growing up? Then? Well, when I went to my auntie Helen's over in Port Leash, um, she had a really old record player that would have had uh, a lot of rock and roll, a lot mm. of show band stuff, um, the Royal Show Band, um, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets, um, all that kind of stuff, Eddie, Eddie Cochran, maybe. And then um, I would have, my first album was This Old House by Shaking Stevens. Was it? Yeah. Now I was only five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I was given the Jungle Book actually for my fifth birthday by my friend Dutchie, mm. and our record player um, had been binned at that point. And we had a cassette player, so I swapped it. They hadn't got it on cassettes. So I saw this old house, and your man looked a bit like Elvis, so I went for mm. him, and I got really into that. And um, mm. yeah, I suppose there was Roy Orbison in our pub, Simon Garfunkel, um, a lot of seventies, early seventies, wow. late sixties, early rock and roll. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Um, mm. Well, I grew. Yeah, so I would have been like late seventies. I was born in seventy five, um, and then when I started, like Neil Young, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, mm. REM, the Doors were big for me. Early U two, Thin Lizzy, Horse mm. Lips. Just thinking about all the vinyls that I stole back then. Yeah, yeah. Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous. That, that uh, was a big one. Yeah, that's a big one for me. Yeah. And uh, uh, Wings. Band on, not band on the road. Venus and Mars, that album. Venus yeah. and Mars. Was I never got into. Well, I never got, mm. had a chance. But um, uh, the horse lips were a big one, actually. Oh yeah. Uh, Celtic did an album called a Celtic Symphony, which had all their hits on it, and they weaved it into some sort of a kind of a classical. Well, oh, did you know? Yeah. I heard that one. I heard the uh, Man Who Built America album mm. a lot. But this uh, is all kind of before your time. They, these albums were before you were born. Well, yeah, because I had a friend Spud. Mm. Uh, and Spud's brother mm. Paul. Is his second name Murphy? No, Owens, no. but his no. dad, we were up, up Cubs, uh, with the Cubs up in the Sleeve Blooms in the log cabin, and his dad mm. came up with a, a box of Sam Spuds for all the Cubs, and we were like, Spuds, Spuds, Spuds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was the man with the Spuds, so right. that, that's how he got his name Spud. But Sam Spuds were only a new a new thing. At the crinkled crisp, crisp in Ireland, was like, just, this was futuristic. It was stuff. like. <laughs> It was like uh, time travel. Oh, big time, yeah. This yeah. was huge. Um, so spuds, spuds, <laughs> we're all up, like, supposed to be sleeping. And all you could hear is crunching in sleeping bags. Because <laughs> there was a fella in my, in sixth class in, in primary school called Spud Murphy. Yeah. And he had a bit of hair in his face before anyone else. Oh. And he, and uh, he wore a cap. Jesus. <laughs> and when he got out of school on his way home, he smoked a pipe. Oh, He's only 11. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. Spud Murphy. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> where, where's the, when did you learn guitar then? So, um, we got a guitar. <clears throat> I, I was about five. My brother was eight. And um, <clears throat> I actually think I was doing open tuning back then. Yeah. Because I was trying to... Ding, 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 ding. And I was mm. playing, there's, there's, there's three dots, I think, on the neck of the guitar, and then up at the 12th fret, there's another dot. Mm. But I thought that they were core, like, that's where you meant to put the your finger. Right. But they're really just to help you where... where, where no, what fret you're on. Or yeah, kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and I was doing, there's a lot of three-chord songs, like, um, oh, Twist and Shout and stuff mm. like that. But I was doing... 
I would go uh, off and then I go fifth, off, seventh. I was kind of writing these down in a little book. When right. I was about yeah. five. Anyway, that lasted only probably for about a year. And my so brother, you were inventing your own chords? I think so. I, was, I think yeah. I was playing open tuning. Like, because right. you see guys with the with the little bottleneck on their finger. Right. It has to be in an open, well, it doesn't have to be. It sounds better if it's in an open tuning to play with that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I left it down then, I think probably when I, was not, when I was about six or seven. And then probably, I'd say six. And then I, got, I really got into it when I was 14. Yeah. So that was a long answer. But yeah, 14, I picked, I, I got it re-strung. There was a guy up the road, Owen Davis was his name, and Owen played electric guitar, Stratocaster, through a massive amp that you could hear all across uh, the region of Offaly. Mm. But uh, yeah, he'd be playing like Black Betty and like amazing guitar solos and stuff. Mm. And uh, I used to break the strings myself and go up to him and say, can you put a string on for me? Mm. So that I could actually get to hear him play. Oh yeah, did he? Oh, you'd actually intentionally break it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I'd go down and buy a string down the shop, so just so that I could call up to his house. Oh yeah. And I knew how to put on a string as well, but uh, it was just to get he 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 was uh, the first, just close as I got to, I suppose, like a Gary mm. Moore or something like that. You know, mm. like somebody who could really, really give a dig in. Mm. Yeah. So uh, did he teach out? Um, well, we're still pals. He's he, yeah. he was quite cool. He's a good bit older than me. Um, back then, I'm getting we're getting closer in age as the years go by. <laughs> uh, we're actually nearly the same age. Uh, yeah. In yeah. fact, he was probably at the gig in Boston, and he was at the gig in Boston. Uh, but he, he um, yeah, he would have taught me a few things, but never. I wouldn't have been good enough to be able to learn Anthony off him. If you know what I mean, it was too 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 slow. But what really happened was. Uh, this priest moved into our school when we were 14, um, Father Pat, and this guy arrived on a motorbike with a biker jacket, and he was, like, cool, wow. and the women were swooning, and mm. he um, he was really big into music and drama, mm. and he brought a drum kit, an amp, and an electric guitar with him, and he nominated uh, uh, the lads two years ahead of us in, in fifth year and said, right, you're on the drums, you're on the bass, you're on, and the next minute they're playing, like, gospel music, you know, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Would have been like yeah, Joshua Tree would have been probably big around then. Mm. <clears throat> so me and my other pals decided to string up our axes, and uh, we uh, started learning together in the playroom, and uh, we kind of taught taught ourselves, yeah. No, right, yeah. And um, then by the time we got into fifth year, we were, or probably even in third year, we were the, like the band, the the the, the 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 annual school mass band, mm. or whatever. So. Um, it was really that kind of simple, but uh, we played. And then, f- well, I, I, at some point, you go, "Jeez, I'd love to do this for eleven. Yeah, actually, so that was when I was in second year, so third year, fifth year. We didn't do fourth year. Uh, so you do your career guidance in fifth year, and Miss mm-hmm. Mar, Miss Mar, said uh, was asking, you know, you'd call into her office and go, "What do you, What are you going to do for the rest of your life?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, to be honest, this is what I want to do." And she's like, "Well, don't think that's a good idea because." Mm-hmm. There's not really, it's not really a stable job, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, I want to do it. And, uh, and then I was kind of like, we went talking about avenues, sound engineering and all sorts of stuff like that. And I kind of thought that was maybe something I'd pursue, but um, kind of always told my parents that that's what I wanted to do, but it wasn't, it was only to make them feel comfortable. Mm. And I actually did hold up a lie for a year because I came to Dublin and I said I was doing, uh, in Valley Firma, I said I was doing engineering. And uh, one summer I was dying. It's Ballyfermot, a school of music. Yeah, yeah, a rock school. Rock school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
senior college, but one one summer I woke up with a massive belt and Linden Village hangover um, in my little single bed, and my dad told me, "You're a liar," you know, and I was like, "What?" Are you? And he said, uh, "You've been telling me lies for the last year that you were doing sound engineering." And I was like, "Sorry," and he said, "You did very well, but I'm not happy with you, you know." So I did well in the in the college and the other thing, yeah. In the, in the performance or learning music. And I actually, to be honest, I didn't go out there that much because I kind of got an itch for the old busking and going to the open mics around the city and I yeah. never could get, never get out of bed. So, but is that like you left school and went straight to Dublin? Yeah. So immediately, seven, was it? Yeah, yeah. So, so and, and, and jo- I went to the Ballet Farm. Was that immediately? Rock school. I think that was school. when I was 18, maybe I went there. Oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. fairly straight away, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And Damien Dempsey went there. Yeah, he... So then uh, I took off a year and then I ended up going back there mm. um, when I was 19 and me and Damien were there for a while and then I ended up going into the international one night and Dave Murphy said to me there's two English lads waiting for you down the bar that want to talk to you about signing you but hang on let's go back a bit because yeah. you, 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 so you're you 18 you moved to Dublin you, 17 when I moved 17 you moved to Dublin you, you, immediately you're doing busking are you? yeah yeah and, so, and, and, and there was a kind of singer-songwriter night upstairs oh, in the upstairs International in the on, a, on a Tuesday night. Tuesday night, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so you, you start writing songs then? I started writing songs. I'd been writing songs in Borough because I'd, oh, you had? I, okay. I, I, I had a band in school, Stage Fright. Yeah. Now there were some, some songs are better than others. But, uh, we, mm. you know, we were, we were trying, you know, you're, you learn about arranging stuff when you're that young. And, mm. But really, when I started going to the International, I went, okay, now this is up a really... The level was quite high. Yeah. And 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 I, I really only wanted to be a guitar player, to be honest, in the beginning. But then mm-hmm. I saw the likes of Luca Bloom and Glenn Hansard and Paddy Casey and Damo and Gemma Hayes and Nina Hines. And did they people. all start in the international? Uh, they mightn't have started there, but they all went there. They all went there. Yeah. 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 But I started there. They, yeah. they used to go to McDade's as well. Um, that's where Dave Murphy had his oh. club before that. And then it was in... Buttery Brasser, you think? Oh right, yeah. Um, but um, so, how many songs had you written? That this is like at the point where two two English lads want to talk to you. Downstairs. Yeah, so I'd so I'd written I don't know, probably four or five that I would have been playing right in the beginning. But I had a friend Simon who was like, "Don't don't get up until you're ready because this is you know don't be playing any of the songs that you'd written in Bird if you don't think." So I had about maybe two or three that I. Mm. Would get up and sing, and then what um, songs were they? Yeah. Oh Jesus! There was one called um, Thirty Minutes on a Street" that I used to play. Mm. Um, Did they make it onto the album? No, oh. I had a song called uh, "All the Seats Are Vacant," which mm. is a song I wrote for my brother. Mm. Um, and um, right. none of them ended up in the album. Oh, but okay. then, but then I started. So I was there when I was eighteen. Then I started. So seventeen, eighteen, I started really going right. Scrap all the old songs. And I was going out with a girl at the time from America <coughs> who I met when I was 16. She was 22 when I met her. Oh. And uh, yeah, she was six years older than me. My, my dad didn't really like that. That's a big difference. Yeah. I mean, it's not a big difference now, but oh. it would be when you're 16. Yeah. So, but she kind of broke my heart a couple of times. Mm. And then I wrote, I wrote Gin and Tonic Sky and um, oh, To really? You I Bestow. And all those when I was about 18 or 19, yeah. Actually, no, I'd written in around that time, yeah. Mm. She she was off the scene when I was about 19 and a half. <laughs> but it was very intense uh, But for me, anyway. It can be a good thing yeah. for songwriting to have yeah, your yeah. heart broken. Yeah, so, um, 
But I remember arriving down there one night and playing a song called Where's My Friend, which is on my new album, believe it or not. Oh, right. And it, it was recorded for my first album, but didn't make it. But um, <clears throat> people's heads started turning when I started playing those songs. They're like, oh, right, okay, this is... This is good He's stuff. hit something. Mm. And um, and then word got out, but, and there was a r people coming in all the time, kind of sniffing around, and uh, it was weird. It all happened very fast. Yeah, that's mm. amazing. And that was kind of when um, the singer songer became a thing, wasn't it? Yeah, a well, thing, a lot of. <clears throat> I think the, le- the the record business had gone from a massive, probably all the Irish bands like Marshall Fish mm. in the frames. Uh, um, something happens. Yeah, Fat yeah, Eddie yeah. sings massive. Everyone, there's loads of Irish signings, massive. Yeah, but and then happen. and then there was a whole boom, nothing. Mm. And um, the independent thing was starting. Like, there was lads coming in from England who had already been signed, going kind of d- do-it-yourself route. Mm. Martin Stevens, David Gray, all these lads. David Gray yeah. was the big... Yeah. And he was coming over to Ireland making big um, impression on well, people. Well, he was big here before he was big anywhere. Yeah, but he was he was doing it a very uh, organic route. Mm. I think we took to him mm. um, quicker than anybody else, which mm. is... Maybe it's that he's Welsh, I think, or well, he's actually Welsh. I don't know what he is, mm. but uh, yeah, we, we, he 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 was loved over here anyway, and um, and so other people probably saw that, and Damien Rice then would have been mm. another lad that went out, went big on his own, and yeah. So I kind of what was it like then? What happened? What happens? You signed up to? Well, you know what? To be honest, I got signed, and then it was after I got dropped that all that movement started kicking off. To be honest, mm. so I was kind of one of the last signings in a way. Right, right, right. Of the flourish, and then when I when I got dropped, which was around two thousand, everyone was going out their own way doing it, and independently. Yeah, but so what happens when you're assigned? Like, what what do they do? What do they say to you? Um. Well, see, what they do is they wave a big, beautiful carrot in front of you, mm. and you um you kind of go to bite it, and then move it forward a bit, and the carrot moves, and uh, it, it's like um. To tell you you're amazing and obviously that you've got the best, you're the most talented person that they've ever come across and that they really, you need to be on their label and all this kind of stuff. And you're only a kid, so you kind of don't know. You're very, I started getting panic attacks around then actually. Because mm, yeah. um, I didn't know who to believe. There was so much love and adoration for me. It was just scary. And then, you know, then next minute you're, I used to go into my lawyer's office in London and I'd be getting these chest pains. And he'd, and he'd have to, you know, get me a glass of milk or something. And I was like, I can't even drink the milk to put, you know. And uh, it was just the stress was killer. And I really was on my own because my management were, they had a contract they were given to me. The record deal had a record label had a contract. The publishing deal had a contract. It was all for me against them. So I was even against my management, if you know what I mean. So- yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, the record contract is kind of against your management, is it? Well, yeah, well, like, well. So the management are really meant to be your on your team, right? Yeah. Okay. Got that. So they they basically advised me that Epic Records were the ones to go with, and Warner Chapel Publishing were the ones to go with, and mm-hmm. that was cool. Those contracts drove me up the wall a bit, and then the next minute, there's a contract from them to me, and I was like, well, surely we don't need to sign a contract. And they were like, yeah. Well, what if? 
And then it was like, oh, Mert, they were a slice of the T-shirts, the merchandise. To, if I from, got into filming, if I from got them, in. you mean the management? Yeah, to you. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Because they want to get, they don't want to get lost. Yeah, exactly. Well, they don't. Know. Yeah, they don't want to lose out. Now. But I yeah. just found it all. Like, yeah. hold on, I was just hanging out in the international uh, four or five months ago. So mm. it was a very, very full on. But the, yeah, the record deal would then try and hone you into what they thought you should be commercially and you know some of it was good and some of the first album I have to say I really got a lot of my own um, I got my own way on it mm. and the second album even production wise yeah yeah uh, yeah. I, I mean I didn't really know much about production you mm. two produced it actually I used to wonder what he did as a job when we were in Wales recording the album I'd say to the engineer you're doing all the work here and he goes oh yeah thanks for thanks for noticing <laughs> youth would just come into the room and he'd feel the vibe and which I totally get now yeah, because I think if you stand in front of speakers all day long, your vision goes mm. and you'll, mm. you'll, you you forget why you. So he would be painting, and, and it's amazing. He's never changed. He's actually got more. He's always doing something when he, when when we're laying down tracks or um, making the song, and I'm, I'd always ask him about that, and he said it's the subconscious is always turned on when you're doing something else, mm. but if you're c- completely. Absorbed in, in in it without doing anything else, you you can get tired very quickly and whatnot. Oh, it's like that uh, book Blink, which is, says that yeah, your first instinct is usually the best. Right. Okay. Mm. Well, I should read that book. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember who wrote it. Yeah. Anyway, I'll give you a copy. Yeah. Sign it as well. I didn't write it, but I'll sign it. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure I can download your signature somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Blink. Blink. Yeah. Not the band. Great. Yeah. Book. Yeah. I'll have that on my hand now. Okay, grand. Yeah, so that was all, uh, and moving to London and all that. I mean, it was a massive adventure, but uh, I'm not sure I, I appreciated the... Um, Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book, sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I appreciated the, the um, this kind of um, opportunity as yeah. much as um, I should have. I was too young, to be honest, you know. And I, was, I had a lot of money in the bank all of a sudden as well, which... Which I didn't uh, use very well. What did you do with it? Um, just squandered it. You mm. know? Well, you know, when I moved to London, I had to pay for rent. It was like, I had to pay for rent for my guitar player and mm. stuff to come over with me. And I, it was easy spend, to be honest. But when I look back for the age I was, I had to grow up very fast with it, you know. My accountant has a lot. Of, my old accountant um, took a lot of the money. Yeah. Just he, his wages were quite big. I can help. Mm. Yeah, so, and then uh, to, to you, Abistel went on the... Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. So that, that was a big thing, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I wrote that on the back of a Yellow Pages up in a uh, house in Upper At Mines when it was the night we had a party before this American girl was going back. Mm. She would have had visa problems and stuff like that. Mm. And um, I remember being in bed freezing cold after everybody had gone home and we're kind of still drunk or whatever and uh, mm. I had this line in my head you may not see me when you come back because we're sharing someone else's pillow because mm. we were going through a bit of a turbulence where I knew she kissed a mate of mine and stuff and uh, okay. I was starting to feel that I might do the same and uh, kiss if, her own mate kiss well just kind of maybe that by the time she gets back I mightn't be feeling I think she took it for granted because I was younger that you mm-hmm. know that she could have me any time you know, mm-hmm. but um, <clears throat> but I peeled myself out of bed. I had it you know so cold in the house, and I wrote wrote the guts of it on the back of a yellow pages, and um, and then I remember I arrived down to the international and played it, and like I said, Glenn and Paddy were gone, 
dude, that's that's as good as gin and tonic sky. Like, what the hell is happening to you? How can we, you know, we're finding it hard to come out with songs like this. So I had a bit of a, a, a gold rush. Mm. And yeah, and then the album got made and I came in one day and they were like, oh, a bit of good news. Um, there's a new movie being made, Baz Luhrmann, and we sent him two tracks, um, gin and tonic sky and two of us. So we, don't, we won't know yet whether... Um, I didn't know who he was, mm-hmm. Lena and Lena. I do did know who Lena or DiCaprio was, so I was like, "This could be big." And uh, they mentioned a lot of other bands that were on it, yeah. And uh, sold eleven million copies that soundtrack. Yeah. Wow! So um, it was a big deal, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't understand how you can go from that then to they drop you so quickly. How does that happen? Um, now I was one of them of few hundred bands that got dropped. Yeah. So what happened was I think they had a big annual meeting with their so Sony had about four labels, um, which probably had another load of labels, subsidiary labels, but uh, you know, Epic was the big one, Columbia, S mm. two, which Paddy Casey ended up on, um the walls were on Columbia, I think, for a while. Mm. Uh but there was wasn't many Irish bands and um I think they had a, a meeting with their accounts depart- department and they said, listen, there's about 400 bands there or 200, I don't know, just say say, say 40 bands, mm. for example. And they're, um, they've spent a lot of money and we haven't made anything back. Just to get rid of them. Yeah. And that's what happened. So there was a load of bands went out. And then after, that was about the year 2000. I knew I was, dro- I knew I was getting dropped before the year 2000, about 1999. People were being weird. The cars were getting shit here. You know, they used to send these lovely cars to me. Oh, um, yeah. They used to take me out for meals. But I, I felt something coming anyway. Uh, but, but just after that happened, after I got dropped, that's when David Gray went mega. And the whole independent movement took off. Right, so... So they kind of lost out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, July was on the album that dropped me on, in Mexico yeah. and all that stuff. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it took me... Two years to get the album back. So I was in limbo for two years. So, I, was, so that was six years between my first album and my second album. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. And I'd already kind of re, I'd written a kind of very rocky album as well. In between that, which I can't find the demos for. I don't know where the hell they are. They'll show up sometime. So that was recorded where, in London or something? Yeah. yeah. It, was recorded in the, it was recorded during the same time Madonna was recording music. Or musicology, or whatever she called it, music makes you feel yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, and she was in the studio when I was doing that. So oh, I really? met her a couple of yeah. couple of days. Yeah, my soup was always beside hers in the fridge. Yeah, she yeah. good crack. <sighs> Not really. No. no, no. I got on well with her babysitter. Oh yeah, a lovely girl. Yeah, um, Siobhan was her name. We used to play video games. Cool. Yeah. Right. And Lourdes used to hang out as well. Lourdes, her son. I know she's the, her daughter. The daughter, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was very weird. I, I actually, Madonna has had my album as well. That album because uh, Siobhan gave it to her. I stayed in touch with her for a while. She said, "Yeah, she likes it." And and then we were talking to Maverick actually after I got dropped from Epic about maybe taking on that album. Maverick is her. her is, is, yeah, is uh, is uh, Madonna's record label. Oh, so I never really. But that's a whole part of the story I haven't talked about in a while but uh, she probably has those demos you're looking for she probably has could probably come out in her next album <laughs> yeah. which she's very welcome to yeah and but that album then did really well when you released it it was yeah well see that's that's massive. the thing I had all the 
how, how did you actually uh, oh, this, oh how did you actually get the back get the songs back the they, lawyer the lawyer yeah, yeah. Uh, made a deal with them basically mm. the, the, it was a stipulation that I think it was at least two thirds of the album had to be or no one third of the album had to be brand new mm. so I put on a lot of new songs onto it and took off so I only used two thirds of the old stuff mm. uh, for it to be a new album considered my own and uh, so I made an EP and uh, put some of the songs from the EP on it and uh you will had had a new record and then it was massive July was massive yeah well I had that I had a CDR with the album in my bedside locker I wrote wrote it on the inner sleeve notes and um it was just had a Monday Master second album or something like that on the CD mm. and uh I didn't listen to it anymore because I, I felt I felt like it must be useless if they if I got dropped on it. I went through all this negative stuff, but I was playing all these gigs around the country in Ireland because uh, I wasn't. Sony didn't want me to play in in Ireland. They wanted me to be in the UK and try and break it over there, which is fair enough, whatever. Um, and uh, just the response to the new songs like July in Mexico and stuff was was massive. And uh, mm. I just was I said to my manager at the time, you know. I'm gonna release it. She's like, no, no, don't release it. And then I did release it. I, we ended up parting company, and then it just went. But it went. It was through festivals that it was picked up. Uh, I put July in Mexico to radio as a double A side, and nobody picked up on it. Mm. And then through the festivals, like a Witness at the time, which turned into Oxygen. Every year I played July, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Like people tearing across the fields just to hear the song, which is. That's amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing, yeah. It mm. is amazing. Um, Do you always like uh, start playing the songs live before you release them? Like I know you were playing Glory Hole mm. before uh, Glory Hole is a song about mining, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but about my a mine, Mayans, the, uh, the Australian miners. Yeah, but really. the lads up in West yeah. Western Australia with a bit of a a wink and a nod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, I, I yeah you have to, I suppose. Play them to see what people, what way the reaction is going to be. But I mean, sure, my this new album that I've released um, has probably I've put it to bed in my own head, even though I was finalising, mastering, and mixing it for the last year. Mm. Um, it was really finished a year ago, you know. Mm. So um, you know, and you do get bored of playing the same old stuff. So I needed mm. to my set to change, and I have to say, there's about there's not one song off the new album. Well, we're only doing about seven of them. But there's not one of them that I don't enjoy playing. They're, they're all it's, it's like a new lease of life, you know, um, mm. that you believe in as well. Probably like yourself, if you come up with new material that you love, yeah, you can just feel like brilliant walking out on stage, you know. Yeah, yeah, you look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, they're great songs. Beaconette's mm. a great song. Uh, Shot in the dark. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to yeah, get them yeah. onto the radio though. That's the thing, and I, and I have to keep reminding myself that it never happened overnight. Because I find myself getting a bit disappointed with the fact that nothing's been playlisted, or you know, I've got single of the week and all this, and album of the week and this and that and the other, but it 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 goes in and out very fast. So I'm hoping by the time the summer ends that people will have a good grasp of the songs. Mm. <clears throat> but it does take a year to to, to get people yeah. to know the songs, you know. Well, the people industry. don't have the time, you know, to. At the moment, you know, people have a lot on their plates in Ireland to make ends meet. So I think t- to think that someone's going to buy an album and know it 
after two weeks is going to be yeah right but I also think that I, well I, you'd know more but the music industry must have changed immensely in the last seven or eight years I mean that people aren't buying CDs anymore well I'm I'm or, in it I'm in it 20 years now so yeah. next year I'll be my first album will be 20 years old um, so uh, it when I my first album came out on cassette vinyl and CD Second album came out just on CD. We were going to put it out in mini disc. Third album CD uh, for the whole CD, and then and download. Mm. So the downloads started coming in, then you're getting less stock pressed up. And now there's um, they say for anyone who's twenty seven or twenty eight or younger will never buy an album ever again, ever. Yeah, my son is uh, is seventeen. He, or maybe twenty five. He would, if he really liked an album, he'd say, "I want it on CD." But that's that's if he really, 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 really yeah. Because he can listen to any band at all, just online free of charge, yeah, free. And he's talking about bands that he really loves. He still yeah. doesn't buy the. So it's must yeah. Be there's a, there's, a, there's a, yeah. you're you're writing stuff. And not getting that in front. Imagine if you were writing books and and everyone got them for nothing. Yeah, well, people people say, "Oh, you'll get it on the, at the gigs and all that," and mm. it's rubbish, really, because the amount of people that have come out of the woodwork that used to just sit at home that were really famous that made money from CD sales alone—that's all changed too. So the likes mm. of Art Garfunkel or someone like that, or Frankie Valli, or I don't know—all these people mm. are coming back out on the road uh, mm. because it's. Their uh, regular income is kind of watered, um, probably. Yeah. So it it affects everybody, you know. Like so, I'm people are probably finding it harder to come to my, you know, my gigs say twenty quid in. Towards you can go down and see Fleetwood Mac in the point for a hundred. People are more likely to save up and go to Fleetwood Mac than oh. keep their twenty for me, you know. <laughs> God, it's terrible. Yeah. It's I, weird, well, it's weird. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I feel I'm char- overcharging sometimes, but you know what? You know what? It's one thing I'm saying they're going to see Fleetwood Mac, but um, when people, thousands of people go to see a football match in Aviva, which mm. is probably boring, probably mm. nil all draw. Yeah. You go, what the fuck? What's the tickets for that? 40 quid probably. Maybe, yeah, 40 quid. And uh, uh, I don't understand why people don't go to gigs. Yeah. The gigs are always good. I don't know. There's got, I was talking to Gavin Glass, a good friend of mine, and uh, I was talking to him where we're going to have to pull together as a, you know, I don't know if you remember the Rolling Thunder review, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, he, after his Desire album, he just brought um, a whole bunch of renegades out on the road, like uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott and just all these, like Roger McGuinn, they all like became a super group and just people came, and they started playing in smaller towns that he never played in before. Mm. And just, um, I think, take take it back to, I see, it's very hard to, then, to, do, to do that too, but you know what I mean? Something has to change. But like, I remember the Waterboys when, back in say 85 or 86, they were touring Ireland. But you look at their, the t-shirt, the Irish tour, I mean, they probably had about 40 dates. Mm. You know, playing Sligo, bloody from Lish, um, <laughs> Mullingar, you know what I mean? Shinron. You know, th- th- and now there's only to do an Irish tour because people will come out on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mm. Back then, people won't go out on a. On a well, this, this, that's the recession, though. Yeah. Because I was touring with mm. Pat Shorten. He'd do uh, five nights in Manor Hamilton. 
Yeah, would he? <laughs> and fill them out. Yeah. yeah. But now, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, so I can't. Yeah. I mean, I, if I, when I'm looking to try and do a tour, it's uh, probably Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Um, to get people out. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Sunday, you'd be pissing against the wind, really. Mm. Which is understandable, you know. And a lot of people, uh, I know in the States, anyway, they're doing house parties. Uh, mm. Isn't that right? I, I'm trying to get some in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are doing that. I know it's a big thing in the States, I think. Mm. Yeah, I've done doing, a few in, I've done a few in uh, New Jersey and in um, Long Island. Mm. Well, it's more, that's in an art gallery. But yeah, it's, but like, it, I know it's, yeah, arc or like a private. It's more yeah, a private thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. more mailing list kind of vibe. But it's yeah, definitely yeah. it has. I've done a couple in Ireland, but it hasn't um, quite kicked off yet. I don't think. Yeah, but it's a great idea. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, I'm thinking of doing a mini festival in my back garden. I have an acre of land, you know. Do you? And uh, just put on three bands or something. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, is it in the countryside? Yeah. yeah. Could be keep it keep it kind of um, yeah. You'd have to PM you know private me- message me if you want to come. PM yeah, it has yeah. to be private. Yeah. I, I just you can't. It's not a public thing. Yeah. I don't know what insurance is. Whatever, any anyway, just it's party. Yeah, so it's just party. Well, I did one on Good Friday up in Drogheda or Dundalk, Drogheda, mm. in a fella's house, and he got sixty chairs from the hotel because the hotel was closed, mm. and he sold you know. Uh, 60 tickets at 20 quid mm. and I just came in and I had a bit of salad and whatever you know played a food with people and hung out mm. um, and all the neighbours were hip to it and they all came mm. and they just don't get me because so, you know when you're in your 40s and you've got a couple of kids you, don't, you can't afford you to you can't get out yeah, yeah. So, um, so this is this, cool. is this is the I've noticed now that um, doing a gig in town it's hard harder to sell out now but like I could do a couple of nights in Scaries or mm. a night in Dawkey or you know mm. because my crew my age group are now pinned down and that's kind of how the the festivals work well. like the small festival like I did I was telling you I did Bear in the Woods there recently yeah. and there's a lot of families at that with their kids yeah and um, they can get to that and what, see music yeah you know well, they're small it's only small it would have been only a thousand people maybe yeah it, you know? well it's all about what's affordable but if you lived mm. out in Scaries, and you wanted to come into Whelan's to see me with your missus, you'd be 40 quid at the door in Whelan's, probably 40 mm. quid in and back in the taxi, which is mm. 80. Meal, probably 140, mm. and a lot of beer. Yeah, and I mean, this isn't a... It's 400 quid. The, the, the travelling to meet people is, isn't a new thing. I mean, the, back in the old days, the theatre groups used to travel the country and uh, set up in the town. And do theater, do fucking Shakespeare or something. Yeah, like And uh, they'd get a local fella apart. That's apparently what they used to do. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, sometimes <laughs> and, I'd go, and, uh, uh, who's, you know, Madeline books my gigs, I'd say, who's, this young lad wants to support you? And I'm like, will he bring anybody with him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because <laughs> yeah. you want to, uh, someone that's going to bring anybody. That's the same in the stand-up. Yeah, yeah, you have an open <laughs> spot night <laughs> in the uh, two or three new acts and they all bring all their friends. <laughs> yeah. I did a great gig one night in, uh, where the hell was it, up in Castle Bar and this guy got in touch and said, oh, I love your music, I'm part of the Castle Bar Gospel Choir. We'd mm. love to sing some of your songs at your gig. We learned them and we'll just arrive. So. Wow. So there was about 50 of them in the group, 40 maybe. 
And um, so I got in the venue, it probably held about 70 people, and I'm playing away. And then I said, ah, next I'm going to have. I was delighted with myself that it was so full. Mm. I haven't forgot that they were there. They were the audience. Yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> so the next we're going to have the Castlebar Gospel Choir up to do two songs. And, and there was no one left. It was just coats. <laughs> it was just coats on the seats. <laughs> I think there was about 22 people there going. <laughs> so, uh, oh, fucking hell. Funny. <laughs> that was kind of what happened to, do you not think the singer-songwriter night in the international yeah. most people in the audience were oh, going yeah. to get up and sing a song as yeah well. yeah for sure well the amount of guitars on the stage uh, yeah, like, yeah. Could, nights there there could be 30 guitars on stage yeah um, which is cool I see yeah it was cool some of them were mental though I have to say oh yeah there was plenty of talented people but there was some fucking you know, mentalers uh, as well a great guy there Ken uh he, he's a band called the Cray Twins or something, or the K Twins. I know. Ken, ah, uh, he's very, very good. Quite, but he's very future, futuristic. He used to wear makeup and stuff, and yeah. singing a really high, uh, like kind of like that band, um, falsetto. I can't. What's that band? Jesus, the darkness. That kind of. Oh, oh right, yeah. But like people would be like, whoa, he was. Too futuristic for them. Yeah. But it was great, you know. It's good to have light and shade, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw people get married up there as well. Did you? Yeah, it's quite weird. You'd have hippies coming in from fucking Devon and all In the international? Yeah. Just to be crusties moving in to Dublin for the summer and to just come up and did. Remember one guy, he was dressed as a, he had dreadlocks, but he was dressed, he's only a young lad now, I think his parents were real hippies. Um, he read me. I said, "You're writing songs." He, he kind of had an Anglo accent and uh, the posh. And uh, he says, "Yeah, I wrote this song." And I read the lyrics, and um, the word, the lyrics to an Elvis song, <laughs> like "Return to Sender" or something like that. <laughs> and he was he had handwritten it, and he was saying that it was his own. <laughs> He's only like sixteen or seventeen. You know, it's the same June, or was it? Different? No, he just he just showed me the lyrics. He said, "Yeah, I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment." <laughs> And then, then I think probably a month later, I went, that fucker, that was an Elvis song. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, God. There was a fella called Seagull I saw. Oh, I remember Seagull very Seagull? well. Yeah. I think he was looking me up there on the on the um, Facebook. He was quite the man. Yeah. My name is Seagull. I'm an Italian. He's Italian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. He was, uh, he was far out, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was the he was the. I got a lot from watching him. Did yeah. you? I did. You? I say <laughs> he inspired me. Yeah, in your in your game, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I I I. It'd be a great character actually to um, develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was up there recording actually for people like Seagull. I wanted to do a character like. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, and uh, but actually, funny enough, I brought this uh, cassette. Recorder, and I wonder if I still have the tape because mm. Damien Dempsey happened to be on that night, and I have mm. two. Mm. Was, he sang two songs, and I recorded him as well. Which Jesus. there you go. If I ever find it, I'll give it to him. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, listen, the album is called what's the album called? It's called Monday. Monday. Yeah. It's a self-titled album, and um, reason being, uh, I had a million titles, and someone said to me, "Well, you're kind of you've kind of come full circle. You're going back with your." first producer youth you've come out the other side with children it sounds very fresh uh, you, you're trying to get your name out there again 
And I was like, yeah. They're like, we'll just do a self-title on it. And mm. thought, yeah, why not? Nice cover as well. Yeah, I was like, it's about time. Mm. Do you know what? I left the albums in the car. <clears throat> but I can give you them and we go for a walk. Oh, yeah, no problem, mm. yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm really proud of it. And I do feel like that uh, I'm getting back to where I was at in the beginning. Um, fresh, fresh-wise, production-wise, song-wise. And uh, it was even a song from the first album on it, so... And what's the the song Beaconette is very, it's just brilliant. Yeah, very emotional. Well, it's funny. My my um, my, the woman who signed me for my first album, she said it wasn't one of my best songs, but she said recently she's come around to liking it. But I think there's issues there anyway, um, because she's not involved. I suppose mm. you have to say something a little bit <laughs> negative, but um. I think it's one of my better songs in that I wrote it in a, a dreamy state. And it just reminds me of a just a, a, a magical time in um, Barcelona that was quite scary as well and spooky and subconsciously, hungovery, romantic-y big time. And a little bit of um, Catholicism thrown in there. Because I, <clears throat> I met a woman outside a church. Um, I, was, I was in Seville on my own years ago. Mm. And she came up to me with a branch of rosemary. Uh, she was a gypsy woman. And uh, I didn't give her any money and she said she was going to put a curse on me. And I asked somebody what was the story and they were like, yeah, if you take the rosemary and give her a coin, she'll bless you. But if you don't, she'll curse you. So I went running after her and I gave her whatever. You she, ran after her? Yeah. Because uh, she did the whole <laughs> kind of yeah. I'd hex you, you know. So, um, that ended up in the song of Rosemary Branch for a coin. And all the bells in the church that day were all out of, um, you know, when the weather corrodes the bells of churches, they lose their tuning. So it was completely, bang, bang, boom, bang. You know, they, did, they had no melody left in them. And that kind of scared that, you at the time. Yeah, and, and it, well, it, yeah, it all oh, fitted in, in as the sound. In the, it was like the soundtrack to what the woman, to, to the, to the, to the, the fact that the woman was trying to put a curse on me, mm-hmm. it just sounded, you know, that all like discordant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that ended up in the song, and um, myself and my wife were staying in a spooky, spooky hotel in um, Barcelona called um, La Oriente, and uh, it bloody scared. We we had to check out. We had to get another hotel that night. It was just very eerie, you know. So it all just it all it all came up into a song, and I felt mm-hmm. like that. My wife was my beaconette that night, and she was reminding me, and she was my light, and uh, uh, she was my chalice, you know. God, mm. lucky woman to have a song like that written. Right? Yeah. Are you going to play that song? I will, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, I'd yeah. love to hear that song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Thanks a million. Born beneath the haloed stars, you're my beacon You won my heart with just one turn, a perfect pirouette. I find myself inside your arms, trembling like a the streets outside can't catch my breath but you can
Venetian blinds and shadows come and go like midweek spirits. Our rented room has company. I sense it but can't hear it. If I am to die here in your arms, I'll eclipse the sunset. But I'm not going anywhere without you be connected without you be connected Whoa, these selfish ways of mine I'm hanging on I'm hanging on There's no sense in crying A rosemary branch for some coins By the church of corroded bells Makes me think of my selfish ways And how I've gone to hell If I am to die here in your arms It would be with regret But I'm not going anywhere Without you beacon there Cause you've revived me a million times My light, my beacon there My light, my be my life My light, my beacon there. Oh yeah, I had to twist it around a couple of times to get back to the end. Well, it's, it's fine. Oh, that sounds good to me. Well, it's an original now then. Yeah, yeah. So it's an original yeah. version. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you've got it. It's Potter Rooney version. Yeah. Thanks, Bundy. You're very welcome, Joe. That was brilliant. I love that song, Beaconet, and a load of other songs on the album, Monday. There's Shot in the Dark, Where's My Friend, Six Lonely Spinsters, UAE. I'm not I'm not just saying this. I love this album. And I have three signed CDs to give away of the album, Monday. Just to answer the question, what is Monday's new album, Monday, called? And send the answer to hello at castaway.media. Last week we had a competition for a Luan Parl CD and the winners are Jake Clinton, Scarlett Heavey and Rosie Dempsey. Monday will be playing Kansas City Irish Festival from the 4th to the 6th of September. Uh, I'll actually be playing La Crosse, Wisconsin Irish Festival from the 6th to 8th of August and I'll be at the Milwaukee Irish Festival from the 14th to the 16th of August. All my dates are on uh, www.joerooneycomedian.com. Right, well, I'd like to thank uh, Castaway Media for hosting this podcast, Andrew Mangan for producing, Daniel Rooney for the music, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Thanks. Goodbye.
This was a Castaway Media production. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.